Welcome, everyone, to I Loved This Conversation, or as we're going to call it this week, um, I forgot what we called it, Matt. I think it's We Loved Our Conversation, or We Loved Your Conversation. We Love Your Conversation. We Love Your Conversation. Yes. I'm Alex Salzberg, and the voice you're hearing is our special guest this week to help (gasps) us hear your part of the conversation, and that is the beloved fan favorite, Matt Bruno Richardson. Welcome to the studio. Thank you so much for having me back. Matt, welcome back. You were a fan favorite, and the animation I made of you and your ADHD, (laughs) anxiety, and depression is also a fan favorite. How does it feel that that has 50,000 views on Instagram? Whoa, that's so cool. I did not know that number. Um, It uh, immediately made sense. Not that it was me. The me part, my voice being popular, that's a confusion. Um, <laughs> but like, I quite literally figured out that I have ADHD because of social media. So like, mm. it taking off on social media, like, especially like, with a fun visual, uh, because people who have short attention spans love fun visuals. That actually, I was like, oh, this actually, this makes a lot of sense. This click. Interesting. So, like, we inadvertently made content that was very accessible to someone with ADHD. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, Whoops. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I had, I had fun with that. I, I it was hard because I had to draw a lot of <laughs> you. Oh yeah. Who was your favorite of your alter egos? Immediately, the I guess depression one would just like the sad, mm. like the sad as I like hot, it's tears. hot topic, Matt. Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> Well, Matt, if you were a regular guest, I would ask you what you're currently going through in your creative life, but you're not a regular guest. You are this week a guest co-host. Yes. And So I'm not going through anything. We're we're both doing great. (laughs) (laughs) We definitely didn't stress eat cookies. Nope. No, nope. right before didn't this. shotgun a snickerdoodle 20 seconds ago. <laughs> shotgun a snickerdoodle might be an episode title <laughs> or a band name. Yep. So today on We Love Your Conversation, yes. the special episode, it's episode 10. We've done 10 episodes, which I think if this podcast goes on a long time, will not feel like a lot. They'll be like, the early episodes that you go back to and you're like, oh, everyone sounds different. <laughs> They're so much more buttoned up and stiff. <laughs> yeah. For episode 10, I wanted to celebrate all our listeners because one of the amazing things about this podcast is I've gotten so much great feedback from listeners. And it is a small but mighty listenership in these first 10 episodes. Yeah. But they are an active listenership. And I get great messages and DMs and shares on social media with people connecting with stuff. That's incredible. Because like getting an active viewership, listenership can be so difficult. So like having that start is incredible and definitely worth celebrating. We had you, our audience, our listeners, the, uh, we don't have a name for you yet. (laughs) Oh, the conversationalists? No, that's that's a mouthful. (laughs) The conversationalists. You out there, convos? (laughs) The convos. Oh, no. Uh, I mean, that could be cute. That could work. Convos is kind of cute. Trial basis. We had you, the convos, send in things that you were going through in your creative lives. We had all of you answer the big question that I open up with. And I want to thank everyone for sending in what they're going through. We also got some great questions. We're going to try to get to as many as we can. The first category is, what are you going through? Here's our first entry. I guess it's a story as old as time. But as a creative person who no longer does creative stuff for work, I'm formerly a commercial artist, now in grad school for a career change, art exists more on the margins for me, nights or weekends. It's hard to find the time and energy to do it, but it brings me so much joy when I do. Or maybe I do have time, but my brain is more in thinky left brain mode, and I have to gear shift over to right brain mode, which itself is hard. 
And that is from Jesse S., a.k.a. Busy in Birmingham. Well, thank you for writing in, Busy. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, Matt, do you have any, do, how does this hit you? Like, do you have any reactions to this? Yeah, I think a lot of creative people probably go through something like this, whether they work in creative fields or not. So yeah. I struggle to shift gears. I struggle to change from, I guess, right brain to left brain. Yeah, I have to switch between left brain and right brain throughout the day as well. So I really relate to Busy in Birmingham just with like the focus shift and how hard that can be. People whose art isn't their career, just the fact that you are even sometimes doing it, you said it brings you joy when you do, which means you occasionally at least are creative. That's huge. <laughs> like it is not easy to just sit down and do something. It's no. just It's just not. And maybe it looks easy for those of us who it's our career, but we have to do that to pay our bills. Yeah, yeah. So like, and not that we don't want to, we also want to. I'm impressed by the people who have another career and then still sit down to make art. I try to think back on when like that was me and mm. I don't, I don't know how I did it. Right. I don't, I marvel at the people who do. So this is our next entry in what one of you is going through. I'm honestly currently going through burnout. I worked a bit too hard on my job in my films the past two years and this summer was the last straw. I decided not to animate or take on any collaborations or films until 2023. I feel like I want to try to start to nourish my artist practice again, but I am trying to relearn how to make art without a giant project looming. Man, this really relates to what we were just talking yeah, about. Yeah, like yeah. The, the sitting down and doing. Thank you, Christine. Yeah, thank you, Christine. Sorry, I forgot to say your name. <laughs> um, Matt, when was the last time you were burnt out? Oh, uh, March 2020. I mean, nothing big happened in March 2020. Like, absolutely, like, you know, why <laughs> I was ending a huge freelance filmmaking job, mm -hmm. essentially. And like that coming to an end with, you know, a giant pandemic that none of us had ever experienced yeah. before. I was just like, my brain cannot create presently. I will say something I'm really envious of and that I think is a bold and awesome move is this intentional boundary that that Christine has created. The, yeah. I decided not to take on any collaborations or films until 2023. And I think we can assume Christine has some other, you know, elements of of income. I love the intentional boundary. I think not enough people do that in their careers. And I love that the boundary comes out of what you want for yourself and yeah. your health and your life and your lifestyle. All right. Three, I'm going to read three in a row Woo. that are all kind of around the same theme. So first one reads... I'm having a hard time figuring out how to live and survive as a part-time freelance animator who also has a part-time non-animation job. And that is from Worn Out Museum Worker in Boston. The second one is just the challenges of building and monetizing a creative passion. And I love this, um, this sign-off, which is, you mean landlords don't accept good job as payment? <laughs> and finally, sort of a more detailed way of putting it, currently I am trying to find a way to be economically stable. I've been freelancing for the last four years, and while that has led to amazing opportunities and a great lifestyle, the money has never been right. I want to continue to chase my dream of being paid to do great creative projects, but also to buy lunch without stressing over every purchase. Especially in Boston, I'm not sure where there is a job to pay the bills and be creatively satisfied. Diddly Klopman. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the contrast of the name to yeah. the... Uh, Sorry if that's your real name. Yeah. No, I know that's not his name. <laughs> oh, I know, okay. I know who that is. Okay, cool. The Klopmans <laughs> built this country. We're in the Klopman podcasting studio yeah. right now. <laughs> so thank you, Diddly, Worn Out, and You Mean Landlords. I don't even have much to say on this except like, yeah. 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 It's, it's, 
daunting. Yeah. The external, I mean, there's a lot of internal stuff but with that. Yeah. But one of the external things, I'm hearing this from so many people, it feels like we're hitting this tipping point where the cities that have the maybe biggest collections of artists and art opportunities and um, art inspiration have also just become unlivable for artists yeah. who... Or I should say artists who want um, more, whatever, more income. It's just hard. Like, it's just so expensive. The biggest I feel you. Yeah. I Yeah. It's a huge I feel. Like, it, it's a huge I feel you. Even, like, the project that I'm working on is sort of designed to, like, be my grand finale if that is what it has <laughs> to be. Like, if at the end I'm like, okay, I can't support myself being an artist anymore. At least I did this thing. Also, the... I don't, I don't like to frame life so linear. Mm. I, I think that's a fallacy. But for me personally, the older I've gotten and maybe the more, you know, I just got married. I, I want to have kids soon. Like the more of those things that come into your life, the less that you can use like your creative dreams and like and passions as like fuel. Those passions are still there and they're still important. I'm not saying I want to give up on my dreams. It's just you need money to be a fuel a little more. You know, the, I'm also married. We are probably in the no kids camp, but uh, reality sets in mm -hmm. at a point and like it sucks. It is all worth it, but it doesn't make the loss or the perspective of losing your creative career, whatever. It doesn't make it any, not it's, I don't know. Now I'm putting it's my right. foot in my mouth, but <laughs> well, I, I think what we're, you're hearing from us is like, we don't know either. Yeah, like, no, it's, just, like, it's very it's, much like it's an age old question. <laughs> it's, and it's complicated. It's really like, cause I can say on one breath, yeah, I need the money. I can't just be like a artisan, but also like you kind of put it best diddly Klopman. You said it's led to an amazing opportunity, a great lifestyle. And I would agree with that. Like I've had experiences and stories and weird shit happen yeah. because I'm an artist. Yeah. And that's stuff that maybe wouldn't have happened in a nine to five. We're, we're struggling with this one because you hit us deep and we're depressed. Well, it's, 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then your ADHD tells you what you're. Yep. And then now that's just telling me to move on to the next one. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, it is a struggle for us to answer because it's a struggle Period. Yeah. All right. Here's here's an interesting one. I spent seven years building an online following of over one million, and then social media decided, "Hey, we're not going to show your followers your content anymore." Super uncool. Also, art is seen as quote unquote content, basically disposable, and that's from Jimmy preaching to the choir. Jimmy, <laughs> like, uh -huh. I, I haven't quite built that following, but like. Yikes. I mean, you've experienced firsthand um, when a platform just changes something under the hood. Some They change a one to a zero and it completely changes your business. You've had, yeah. you've had that happen. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was very much my dealing with Amazon was like yeah. they completely changed. Like you said, they completely changed the platform that we were on and it my income dramatically dropped. I very much, it was a lesson that I feel like I probably already should have known of like, oh, Amazon's not your friend. Mm -hmm, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I should have known that going in. But we all learn that lesson over and over again. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, I I know people, I, I've talked to them on this podcast whose who's current identity as a creator, and this is not a bad thing, it's just, it's, it's a reality, is like deeply entrenched in a specific platform, right? Yeah. And I've talked to TikTokers, but it comes back to what you said, like, they're not your friend. They're not your friend. And also something that I, that uh, because of the social media landscape, something that I've been remembering is like, they're not your friend and they're also not permanent. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. it's a tool. 
Yeah. It's a tool, and you need to be prepared for that tool to maybe stop working. Right. But it's also like, um, you know, to come back to Jimmy's point, it's like, we don't, we also don't have a choice but to use these tools. Yeah, right? that's it's, very true. When that changes, it's like your your water shuts off or your electricity yeah. shuts off. It, these companies grow to a, a point and they grow on the on the backs of all of us creating beautiful things to fill their pages because yep. you know they're not making content. Yeah, you know, if you don't post something for a while on Facebook, you get a little message that's like, "Hey, you haven't posted in a while," and I'm like, "You yeah. post something." Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you post Why something? Why don't you come up with something Mark? For that isn't the metaverse that yeah uh, that looks like The Sims, it, uh, but not nearly as good. Yeah. Like it is. I mean, can you trap someone in a swimming pool? Ooh. Okay, maybe I'm on board with the metaverse now. Yeah. When know. will the first meta murder be? <laughs> that's and that's then, a podcast. And then when will the Hulu show based yes. on the podcast? Yes. Be? But yeah, to that point, it's like we we've built the these networks, and then they become so big that they are. No longer tools, they're utilities. It has become a utility. Like, we do need it to get our message out there. If it fails there, that doesn't mean that we fail ourselves. Like, Mm. there are other avenues available to us. It just, they're harder. Yeah. Especially with social media, because, like, everyone likes to be in the one place. Right. It's kind of like how, like, people complain that online dating has made it so it's, like, harder to approach someone at a bar. Instagram has made it harder to just like show your art to someone in real life. Ooh, okay. All right, we have another one here. This is very specific. (laughs) Currently, it's the very poor exchange rates of Japanese yen to US dollars. That's from Mitch. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. God, you know. I don't even know what the exchange rate is. When will prime minister, I don't know. (laughs) Mitch, that sucks. It, yes, sorry. Mitch. Sorry about the yen. Yeah. Uh, that sounds insincere. But actually, like, I think this relates to everything, which is like, yeah, we're we're all just uh, this doesn't I'm not trying to make us sound like hippies or like heroes or like just like disconnected from the world. But like, in a way, we are we all just want to like make stuff. And then we're affected by all this money stuff that our art schools and culture maybe didn't even do a good job teaching us about as evidenced by how no. Matt and I sound like idiots. <laughs> I never even, like, I, when I was in school, no one ever once talked about working in another country, let alone, like, potentially, like, living here and working for a place right. overseas. And, and that's the thing. We're, we're a much more global uh, yeah. world. As listeners to the podcast might know, I live in two countries. So, like... Oh, yeah. And so I probably should be thinking about how the shekel's doing. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, all right, our next one. That someone's going through. And by the way, these are amazing. And and for me, it's A, nice. I mean, I'm ha- not happy we're all going through <laughs> negative stuff. But it is nice um, to hear that, like, everyone's going through it. Yeah. You know, we're all worried about these the, are, yen, yeah, the yen. No I'm one. <laughs> Matt and I both know Mitch. Yeah. And, and he's. Where, like, that is maybe a bit more niche. Yeah. Mitch. All right. We got a, we got a heavy one here. I've been thinking a lot in the past few years about my values and I've come up against a situation at work. My company pitched and won a bid from a company that has actively supported anti-LGBT groups in the past. I was supposed to be put on the project as an animator. I struggled with my values versus my desire to fit in with my peers and not be labeled as some sort of problem if I spoke up. I was also baffled as to why we were pitching at all, and I had a couple conversations with coworkers who were also unpleasantly surprised. I ended up speaking with the producer and letting them know I had a moral objection to working on the project and asked to be put on something else. 
It made me really nervous to speak up, but I was proud of myself afterwards. The producer understood, and other artists are working on it now, thinking about change in Illinois. I mean, round of applause for being like, hey, I can't work on this. Like, yeah. That... Damn, I'm proud of you too. Like yeah. that. Um, I, for all the reasons we discussed earlier, the challenges of making money, like what you did wasn't easy. And I'm no. really happy to hear it sounds like your producer also did, the, also did the right thing. Yeah. To give a little love to your coworkers who didn't do that, it's because it's hard and maybe they they were also weighing the same things you were weighing. Yeah, I mean, this is very social media again, but people <laughs> love to be like, it's all or nothing. Like, mm -hmm. how dare you work for a company that would work with them? That's not real. That's not no. realistic. People that, need their jobs. Yeah. So yeah. like, you know, you did what you had to do for yourself and you weren't punished for it, which is how it should be. That's how it should be. It's yeah. absolutely how it should be. I have to be as vague as possible, <laughs> but I worked on a project for a product that in my view was a net good in the world but the product was made by a type of company that many people view as a net bad in the world but um someone who I work with on almost every project was very honest with me that they just gut instinct you know hearing the type of company that this was you know <laughs> it sounds like worse when it's vague <laughs> you know that's uh, the beauty of vagueness though yeah it it's a whale a whale hunting firm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they were making, but they were making a recycling bin, yeah, um, out of whale, <laughs> out of the whale blubber. <laughs> they were using whale blubber to make a really delicious ice cream, <laughs> vegan ice cream. Somehow, a vegan ice cream. <laughs> it actually, it's so terrible. It circles all the way back into being vegan. <laughs> it's so unbelievable. Yeah, it's beyond beyond meat. <laughs> I love that. We're off the rails. But uh, anyway, all that's to say is that um, I'm happy to hear that your producer, but not to give all the credit to your producer, I want to just give you so much credit. And that that's inspiring to me. You standing up for yourself and saying like, hey, I can't work on this project. That's just incredible. It's... it's Yeah. And, and I think if more people did that, that would motivate producers not to pitch, right? Also, you mentioned your desire to fit in with peers and not be labeled as a problem. I mean, that that's so real. Like, um, yeah. especially at a company, um, you don't want to be the one who complained. You don't want to be the person who is like, people are like, we know so-and-so is going to have something to say about this, but yeah. we, we need the people who have something to say about this. Yeah, yeah. Like, I we think- need, We need you. Yeah, there's, uh, I think we've had in the last few years, a lot of examples of people who are just surrounded by yes men. So it's always nice to just be there to ask mm, questions. That's a good point, yeah. Right? Like, just like at least three examples come to my mind immediately <laughs> of people who maybe could have heard no a few times. <laughs> Hmm. All right. An anonymous person has written with three different ones that I think we can touch on. They're all short. Moved to a new place. Missed the connection of former artist community. Feeling alienated from most artist communities because I have my own views about the current cultural climate and reject extremism from both ends. And then stuck in limbo in the housing crisis. Can't get a proper place to set up my workplace properly. I mean, to the first one. Yeah. I, like, as someone, I've worked from home since before the pandemic, mm -hmm. and, like, now I'm very much in a similar boat of, like, oh, I really need community. Like, yeah. I need I need to get out of my house. It it And I, I also, like, I'm struggling with it now, is, like, I don't know how to go out and find, to find community. And, and we're in a city. I mean, I think, um, yeah. I, 
depending where Anonymous lives, if if they moved up to you know somewhere that isn't as connected with an artist hub, yeah. But that's the problem. I mean, that comes back to I mean to their third point. That sounds like Anonymous wants to buy a house and have yeah. a place to um, create their art. Yeah. But also the place where Anonymous could buy the house might be really far away from other yeah. artists. Yeah. And it's it's I don't know what to do about it. I don't it. either. No, it's it's at least for I mean, this would just be for finding community, but like a class, even if, like quite literally, like you might it might be something you know, but like going to like a paint bar or I don't know, like yeah. how do people leave their homes? I don't I know. know. I think I think it's always <laughs> though, I, I think something I've noticed and and I'm guilty of this too, is that like those of us who live in like populated urban areas are always giving advice that I don't mean to call you out for Oh this, no, you should. But we're always we're always giving advice that is like, well, just uh, find a little club. Yeah. You like board games? Go to a club. It's like that's easy for us to say when there's three board game stores within a very two true. mile radius. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like that's not always the case. And it's not no. that there aren't these amazing things happening in small towns, but like you drive through some places where you're like, oh, there's not a class to take here. That's true. <laughs> that's not, a good point. You know, and I don't know where anonymous um, you know, what what's in anonymous's place. And then yeah. To the middle point, I kind of want to touch on this because um, it, it sounds like I, I could be wrong, but um, this is something I was talking about with a friend the other day is that we've seen this. The pandemic took so much of discourse in this country online, and it was already too much online. Yeah. And I think what's happened is that's kind of infected conversations between people. And I think a lot of people are not looking at things with nuance or, or even like being open-minded to just meeting someone else who doesn't agree with them. And I'm not talking about someone who's discriminating against them. And right. I'm talking about people who take are taking everything in bad faith because that's what people do online. Right, right. People love it to be all one or the other. Uh-huh. And that is not reality. Right. And it's not helpful to reality. And it's also really alienating, like... I'm guessing Anonymous and these other folks, if they actually, <laughs> these other art, artists especially, like who's more open-minded than artists if we really dug in, but people are afraid to dig in anymore. And I get it because sometimes you dig in and you find a monster and that's horrifying. We have one more. So I'm going to just end on this because it's a positive one. Ooh. As a recent graduate of a master's in art therapy program, I have loved, loved, loved practicing the concept of process over product in my work. Essentially, this means not really caring how the creative piece, whatever it is, comes out. Yikes. Hard to learn and lean into for someone like me who has been commissioned for my skills at producing that end product, usually photography, however it took to get there. And yet, wow, honoring the process of making has been so healing and revealing. And that's from Wild Child Taterbug. <laughs> yes! I love this! I love this. Ta tater, Taterbug... Thank you. Yes. This, this is so is, uplifting. This is beautiful. Oh, wait. She says, uh, P.S. How do I make money? <laughs> um, uh, this is beautiful. And and yeah, I think it's such a reminder for all of us artists. Like, I think most of us deep down like the process. Like, yeah. We don't always like the product and we don't always like every moment of the process. But like, I, I try to find a moment every time I'm at my drawing board or my writing keyboard yeah, uh, uh, my my typewriter with a yes. glass of bourbon next to it. Um, <laughs> I try to I try to always find a moment. I I don't always remember to do this, but I try to find a moment of like, 
oh, I like this. Yeah, I'm really bad at that. When I'm like in a negative headspace, <laughs> I'm really bad. Yeah, I'm, uh, but like, I'm really bad at stepping back and being like, oh, but I love this. But what I do usually is like at the end of the day, I'll just like sort of sit there and not even necessarily like consciously do this, but I'm like, oh, but I can't think of a single thing I'd rather do. Yeah. And Wild Child, huge congratulations on graduating master's in art therapy. Art therapy is such an interesting field and such what a what a combo of the two things I like to talk about art and mental health. I also love both of those things. They are good. Yes. Love mental health. Yes. Especially when I have it. (laughs) Which is what is that like? A middling percentage <laughs> of the time. Okay. Well, we've talked about what everyone's going through. We've we've probably um, peppered in some advice because we're <laughs> a bunch of know-it-all blowhards <laughs> over here. Um, I'm a fixer. It's a problem. Yeah. We <laughs> Let's get to the advice portion of, of We Love Your Conversation because a few of these fine folks wrote in asking for our advice. Perfect. We've got Worn Out Museum Worker in Boston who is asking... Should I quit my steady bi-weekly pay job and dive into freelance animation full-time? I have a couple of projects. One is longer term than the others. The freelance pay isn't livable. But without a part-time job, I could expend more energy on getting new projects to supplement pay. That's Worn Out Museum Worker in Boston. I've been in this exact situation. I have as well. Something that at least I've tried to keep in mind. This sounds very Instagram influencer-y, but I had to sort of trust the process and that Mm. like... I know myself well enough to know that I'm not going to let myself fail at this. So I'm putting out enough feelers, and while I'm not getting necessarily enough back all the time to feel secure, because I had been doing the work all the time, something would come through. And like it's a leap of faith, for sure. I'm going to provide a depressing... um, Go for it. Not a counterpoint, but a a different experience. And... I'm not saying this to be negative. I just want to throw it out there to be realistic because um, I was in that exact situation about 10 years ago where I had a part-time job that paid not amazing, but like most of my bills. Mm -hmm. And my bills were smaller back then because I was 25. I didn't have as many expenses. I lived with roommates and and, uh, things, groceries didn't cost $50 for a tomato yeah. back then. And I remember having that exact same thought process. It's like I had too much freelance to do in that small amount of time, but not enough money to live if I went full-time. Yeah. And I took the leap, and long-term, it happened. Like, I I am a full-time independent animator. Yeah. Short-term, I think I did it a little too early. And yeah. I want to also add, just for context, like, I was broke myself, but I had a safety net. I had yeah. um, family who could help me out if I needed to and and did have to at one point because I was in a little over my head when I jumped in. So that's not me saying don't do it because at some point you do, if, if that is a goal of yours, you do have to take the leap. Yeah. I will add the note to mine as well that like th- those times when I didn't have anything, it's terrifying. Yeah. Like that was, I, that is not me saying like this is comfortable. It is not. Right. And so I I don't know what the solution is or what I could have done differently, but I I think if I were to do it again, I would personally like wait another year. And that is really frustrating because it can be really impatient to be in your part-time job and be in that limbo where you're like not, you're still not making enough money probably and you're spending all your time on freelance. But I don't know. I I don't want to be negative. I just want it to be real that like, I think I did it rashly. And then here's another mistake I made. 
that I think worn out can maybe avoid mm. is that I put a lot of pressure on myself to seem successful right oh away. Oh my God, yes. And when you're trying to seem successful right away, you spend more money than you have. Yup. And yeah. it's a bad it, thing to happen. Yeah. It is it is wild how when I started my own like freelance business, whatever, like I was like, I need to look like I'm successful immediately. My brain was so broken. And like, it was just like, and that's not, yeah. I, that's not to say like, it's, it's necessarily bad, but like, it was just like, now I'm just trying to present myself as I am, which is yeah. not the most successful by any means. Exactly. And it's, it, a, it feels better, and B, I think people like me more. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So so I guess if I could boil this down to advice, is like you are going to probably have to take the leap before you're ready because you'll never be ready. And this yeah. is true of like all big decisions in life. Like it is good advice to say take the leap because like nothing gets done without a leap. Yeah. And then also when you do take the leap, like do it maybe with a little bit more of a plan in mind, like like yeah. I like a business plan, which I didn't yeah. have. I was just like, well, I'll just keep getting clients and then I'll get more. So worn out, uh, I don't know if we gave you good advice, but um, we're rooting for you. And, yeah. um Maybe keep it for a little bit longer with the leaving in mind so you can like squirrel away more of that money to like yeah. Yeah, go that. into your freelance with more of a savings than you maybe would have. If Again, I realize that's maybe not feasible, but like... Right. It's so hard. It's like, I, I never want to be the one who's like, Ooh, be practical, boop be doo But like, I, I wasn't, and it was it was really challenging. And yeah. also, we don't know your financial situation no. as well. So it's, I, I guess the other advice I'd give is you work at a museum. I think um, there's a precedent that if you steal artwork in Boston from a museum... Oh, they're you, never going to know. Yeah, you'll get away They'll with it. They'll never so find out. I think that's a really good... And in like 30 years, you'll be the center of a Netflix documentary. Exactly. Great. Exactly. But I do just like, I think your point really quick of you're going to have to make the leap before you're ready is a great one because... Yeah. You're never ready. Yeah. It's like making an informed guest yeah. instead of a guest or something. Yeah. I, I don't know. Sorry if we made you more stressed <laughs> out. I feel bad about that. But you know what? We're we're real humans here too. Yeah. And, and we're figuring it out. Speaking of figuring it out, we got three interconnected ones um, that I think we can kind of do as a three fur. Yeah. Diddley Klopman of the Manhattan Klopmans. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the Klopman heiress or heir. Heir to the Klopman fortune. <laughs> fortune. How do you make money without selling your creative soul? Jimmy uh, asked a similar question, balancing artistic integrity and keeping the lights on. And thinking about a change in Illinois, asked a question, and they were the ones who had stood up and, and not worked on that anti-LGBT companies uh, work. Yeah. Um, have you encountered a situation like that where your personal values conflicted with a pro project at work? What did you do about it? And how do you feel about it in retrospect? Um, I, I have... Sort of a funny story, but also like there's a lesson in it about, and, and it's it's much lower stakes, I think, than um, thinking about changing Illinois. But someone hired me to make an animated advertisement that was for a some sort of gun safety thing, like something you lock up your gun in. Okay. And I am, and I, and I say this, this is my personal opinion. Listeners may vary, but I <laughs> I lean very anti-gun. I really dislike guns. I want the laws to be a lot stricter. And I also Ooh. just don't, anything that like is about guns, I'm like uncomfortable with. You know, I'm not saying that to shame anyone who owns a gun or, or uses one responsibly. I just, yeah. that's how I feel. I I like am freaked out by them. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I, was, I was torn about taking on the ad for this thing. And I told myself like, okay, it's just a little corporate ad. And also I needed the money. It's just a little corporate ad. No one's going to, it's like, I'm not going to put it on my website. No one's going to know I made it. The drawing style wasn't even really my 
typical stuff. It was a little more designy, you know. So I I just sort of had been like, it's not really going to be my thing. It's it's a side thing. I'm a hired hand. Yeah, exactly. I'm a hired, um, what's the expression? (laughs) (laughs) What's the thing you hire to do this? Um, I love it. (laughs) So often, if you're creating a video, you do what's called a scratch track. So you're eventually going to hire a voice actor, but in order to start animating to the timing, you record a little scratch track yourself. So I recorded a scratch track with my voice for this animation. And then when he approved the um, rough version of the animation, I finished the animation and I recorded a voice actor who was not me. And this client said, what happened to the voice? I liked the other voice. Oh. And so I had to, to accommodate this client, publish or have him publish the version of this gun ad that has my voice going, you have the right to a gun. (laughs) And I felt bad, but this is all to say that the lesson there, and maybe this goes to where we all can draw our lines and integrity. Yeah. The lesson to me is everything you make, maybe not as blatantly as that, has your voice in it. So if if you're making that decision, don't treat it lightly, you know, to the point of like, like thinking about change in Illinois' story, I I also would have been proud of thinking about change in Illinois if they thought about it and realized for whatever reason they needed to work on that. Yeah. Because I like that they thought about it. I'm curious what your advice would be. I uh, an anecdote that I'll try to quickly summarize is when I was brought in, uh, I made a show for the Amino app, and when I was asked to pitch to them, they just were like, "We want a romantic comedy." Yeah. End of end of requirement. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I don't really know this app at all. So I went in and I pitched a a queer love story. And like I was telling my family about it. And some of them were like, oh, are, aren't you worried that like you're not going to get picked up because like it's a gay story. People right. might not want that. And I was like, well, then I don't get this job. Like that's a very privileged sure. position to, yeah, to yeah. hold. But I was like, if they want me to do this insane amount of work, then like it's going to at least be something I believe in. And I was prepared for a pushback. And they were like, no, we love it. So like, advocating for your creative soul, speaking from it, it can attract that kind of work. When I was freelancing, I got a lot of like-minded clients who like looked at my work and were like, oh my God, a sparkly mermaid. Yes, please come on and do my witches get out the vote campaign. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe there's also two things that people categorize as quote unquote selling their soul. Like we're Mm. maybe talking about two different things. Yeah, true. We're telling stories about our values, whether it's about guns or LGBT stuff. There's also the other side. I think sometimes people feel like they're selling their soul just when they're doing things that are less impactful, less creative, more empty. Like maybe- Working for the man. Yeah. That can feel like selling your soul too. And to that, my advice is, I don't know, do it like it uh, you do or not do it do whatever you want don't yeah. shame yourself for yeah that. um you're not less of an artist just because some of the stuff you do is like just because you're a hired gun yeah <laughs> and you have a right <laughs> you to, have a right to be a hired but kind of jumping back to what you said about the amino app i think this mm. next question is a really really interesting one and it's a really Ooh. tough one hello alex and guest longtime listener first time caller I'm a gay and trans artist struggling with whether to come out publicly. This is something I've had to struggle with for years because I almost certainly would lose contact with most of my family. This isn't an easy decision, but I know I can't keep sacrificing mental health and all the art I want to make about my identity for people who, even though I love them, don't have my best interests at heart. Have either of you ever had to compromise your art for the people in your life who would disagree with you? 
And that's from Closeted in Cambridge. I mean, this is a jump that, to to go with like a metaphor from earlier, it's like a jump that you're never prepared to make. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say that your family might surprise you. Um, and it might not happen now. Like, I realize that th th this question is about art, but um, I am a openly gay artist who, you know, I'm married. Uh, my family is still around and still involved, but it wasn't easy um, mm. for a really long time and uh, probably not that long in the long scheme of, in the grand yeah, scheme of things. I'm sure, it felt, I'm sure it felt long. It felt very long. And like, you're absolutely right that you can't keep sacrificing mental health and art is such a big part of that expression. I noticed a while ago that of the original stories that I tell, none of my characters, none of my lead characters, or really any of the supporting were queer people, let alone queer men. Mm. And I was very scared going into Amino with this queer love story about two men because it felt so much more personal. It felt so much more like, oh, well, like these characters are sort of more me than these other characters have ever been because like I am a gay man. These are two queer men. Yeah. I am so proud of myself for having gotten over that. And mm -hmm. now like I am working on a huge project where again, there aren't necessarily any characters whose lives look like mine. Right. But they're all very queer and they're all people who whose stories I want to tell. And that makes me so much more excited than I had been before, mostly because I get to create something that I needed. Yeah. When I was seven, when I was 15, when I was, um, I did not super duper get to decide when I came out of the closets, but mm. like I get to create something now that could help people with that. Yeah. And which is very much my advocacy for keep it in your art, tell your story, even if it's veiled behind a mermaid yeah. princess. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think especially it's not, I mean, I'm out of my depth here a little, but um, <laughs> mermaid pun. For, for <laughs> you. Yeah. No, I, I, all I wanted to add was not everyone has to represent their, their group or their story, but it sounds like Cambridge that you are called to. Yeah. And so Matt, would you say if you're called to do it, like, how does that connect to mental health once you actually do it? Once you're answering the call, I guess, like it can open up so many more pathways within yourself for storytelling or for art because like mm -hmm. you can actually pull from yourself for maybe the first time. But also like what I have found for myself is like I wrote a very queer script mm -hmm. based off of characters who at the beginning were not very queer and I've had right. them evolve over time. And now I'm getting to work with incredible queer performers <laughs> who you're working with like every famous drag queen on. I'm working right now. with <laughs> <laughs> I'm working with two, but they are very famous and it's terrifying. It's so cool, Matt. It's I'm but a big part of that. The reason why I got to work with uh, Jujube and Jinx Monsoon is because these are other queer people who also, you know, they grew up without this sort mm -hmm. of stuff, without this art, without these stories, and they want to be a part of that. So, like, it's it almost, like, linking back to a previous point, like, it helps you build community, which is, like, I mean, it's, it's at this point, it's practically a meme, but, like, we as gay people get to choose our family. Right. And that is, you know, if, if you come out and you do end up losing your family, I hope they surprise you, but I realize they might not. That is hard that I, I don't want to make that light, but you will have such a beautiful support group mm -hmm. 
almost immediately. They might not immediately be there, but they will show up pretty quickly, yeah. I think. I, I think, and especially if you're creating art around this, I, all I'll add, because um, uh, I love everything you just said. <laughs> I love this conversation. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, all I'll add for you, Cambridge, is um, I am really grateful you sent in this question, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I'm excited for you for what's next because it sounds like you are someone who is on the verge of like some really cool shit happening in their life. And I know so many um, gay and trans artists who are doing cool things and thriving and who are super loved. And I'm excited for this next part of your journey. Yeah. I, I absolutely second all of that. And and also take your time. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Like it's, it's, this is such a separate tangent that I could go on forever, but like there does seem to be this, movement online especially with i'm unsure of your age but like especially with like younger queer people that like it's your responsibility to come out and like be Mm. an and like that is i appreciate part of that sentiment but it is again not reality Mm. like you need to be ready and like i said it is it is a leap of faith that like you, you will maybe never be fully ready to do but it is it is a leap of faith that will eventually lead to good things but i absolutely understand that it can be it will probably be hard for a while and you need to do that on your own terms. Beautiful. And I don't know if these random questions will be lighter, but we have a, <laughs> a section called Random Questions. Our old pal, um, who we scared away from freelancing. Um, uh, but maybe we can turn it around with this random question. Um, Worn Out Museum Worker writes, do you ever stop feeling poor? Do you worry about being taken seriously when people ask about your career as a working artist, especially a smaller artist? No. I, <laughs> no? I, is it no? I think, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think the answer is uh, no. You never really stop feeling poor. Yeah. And uh, I think I've sort of reached a point where I very much don't worry about being taken seriously, at least mm-hmm. among non-artists. Um, like, with artists, I want them to, like, take my work seriously. Yeah. But, like, I think I maybe only had, for the first time semi-recently, I had family be like, oh, you're doing something cool. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Every other time, I think they're just like, okay, it's like, it's a drawing and it moves. For me, yeah, I, I want to answer both of these, honestly. So, um, Worn Out Museum Worker, this is not a critique of the language you use. This is just, for me, I like to, I want to be really clear about, like, for me, I, I consider poor and broke very different things. Um, oh. And, and um, I am not poor and have never been poor. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that like as my that I'm I'm checking my privilege. I'm yeah. saying like that that's just I have always had a safety net. Using that as a differentiation, I would be in the same boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so that's not me language policing anyone else. I just want to make that to, so that I can continue the answer. Um, yeah. I spent probably the first eight years, I mean, I kind of touched on this, of freelancing up until like pretty recently um, feeling broke. Now, the truth is, is that the goalpost always changes. Mm -hmm. When I started freelancing, I was much more the very literal version of broke in that sometimes I would be sweating whether a client's check cleared while I was <laughs> while I was getting food at the grocery store. And again, yeah. the difference between broke and poor is that I was not going to starve. If right. I didn't buy yeah. that food, I would borrow money. And right, buy you had food. another option. Yeah. yeah. Then as that started to improve, that situation, I still felt broke 
because I still had to think about money all the time. Yeah. Um, now, I would say lately I've entered a new phase in my career where I don't feel broke anymore and that I'm not thinking about money every day. Okay. But maybe I should. <laughs> um, but financial, long-term financial stability in this career is still very high on my list of concerns. Okay. And of what yes. takes up um, mental bandwidth. Yeah. So, uh, I would say I'm probably in the same same boat yeah. again. Like day to day right now, I will maybe think about money and like what I'm spending money on, but yeah. like I'm not worried um, particularly. But like even two years out, I'm like, but what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. The the uh, thing I, I'll say that maybe can come back around to advice for freelancers. Oh, yeah. I think a mistake I made for way too long was trying to fill my fishing net with lots of tiny little fish. Oh. Because every fish you catch gives you an opportunity between fish to um, run out of fish and then freak out and feel broke because you don't have enough fish. Lately, I've started focusing on bigger fish, meaning bigger jobs with bigger paychecks. Yeah. Um, now, it's hard to do that at the beginning because sometimes you need, a, like I said, you need that check to clear to get the groceries, right? Yeah. The sooner you can get to bigger fish, the more time you can have in between fish because you, uh, if we're going with this metaphor, ate a giant fish and, yeah. you're, and you're full. Yeah. And you can wait till dinner. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need eat that the snack. next fish. Yeah, you don't need a snack fish. <laughs> so... That that's maybe the advice I'd boil down to, and and I think that would have helped me earlier on too, because I think the times when I felt that most the sort of broke um, existential dread of feeling broke or poor or whatever, however you however it feels for you, are the times when I've been cobbling together lots of little jobs, and yeah, I think one of the reasons I don't worry about money day to day much now is not because I'm making so much more money, it's because I don't have to think about it every day. <laughs> yeah, that's a really um, good nuanced yeah. look at that. <laughs> and, and easier said than done. And then I also have something to answer for the second part mm. is, I don't think I worry about people taking me seriously, but there's still a part of me that wants people to understand. But I think it's maybe it's maybe it's an ego thing, but it's because I've worked so hard to make my income from animation to not feel broke every day. Yeah. I've worked so hard to do that. And that it can be sometimes frustrating. I went to a party over the summer and I think for the first time I got like the, oh, what do you do? I'm an animator. But what do you do for money? Ugh. And like, I, I, I wasn't super taken aback by it. I think mostly just because like, I am not necessarily used to it, but I, I know that a lot of people will not particularly find A, animation to be like a, an expected career mm -hmm. path. But then also when I'm like, Oh, I'm making a movie with drag queens about a mermaid. Like it's it's an insane string of sentences that I just like throw out at people. So like I know that usually they're taken aback. I mean, I want you to wear a t-shirt that just I mean, says I that. might. I might. What did like sort of surprise me was like someone being like, "Oh, well, but like your husband does this." So like you're fine. Oh, yeah. See, that's interesting. That bugged me. But yeah. um See, my wife is also an artist, so mm, people oh. don't <laughs> people don't know who to guess makes the income. They're like, though. "What?" What? They're like, how? Well, oh, so you must have <laughs> robbed the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's where all this art came from. <laughs> yeah. Neither of you made this. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and like, so that was kind of annoying. But again, mm -hmm. like, I I guess I, I like to try to remind myself. Sometimes I do forget. Mm -hmm. But like, I try to remind myself like, oh, 
I have a goofy job. Yeah. And like, that is great. Yeah. That is not, I mean, goofy in like the best, like. Dude, that's so true. I have a fun job. I yeah. don't, if you don't take it seriously, like, cool. Your I, five-year-old will freaking love it. Uh-huh, like, uh-huh. And that's more fun anyway. I, yeah. I, I went through a phase where um, it was really important to me. And this was about 10 years ago when, believe it or not, not that many people worked at home. And, uh, what? <laughs> and I and I did. And it was really important to me, I think probably to push against the narrative of like mm. this artist at home. Maybe people just thought I was like <laughs> at home, like, you know, high and like <laughs> watching TV or something. I don't know. I would like use the word work. Like it would be like the top word if you like measured the words I said all the time. Like I got so much work. I just got some work from a client. I've yeah. got to do work. I Like I would use the word work. 50 times more than I would use the word draw. And it's because I was, I think, trying to defend this idea that what I do is work. And sure, that's true. But I came around to a similar conclusion as you after a while, which was like, I started getting sad that I was like, yeah. I, I was almost framing. And look, it is a stress. It is stressful being a creative artist. Look at all the the <laughs> shit we just read. Yeah, the first hour of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. If you guys made it through that. Uh, Bravo. <laughs> nice work. That's what I'm going through. Is, yes. No, we love we loved reading this. But I should say, so it's a lot of work and it's also really fun. And I and I actually started to get really bummed out at like why why am I exaggerating how hard this is and how challenging this is and how how stressed I am. So yeah. like I, I had this sort of switch. I, I can't pinpoint when, and maybe it was gradual. But where I'm I, trying to think too, and I also can't really yeah. pinpoint it. Whereas I started being like, oh wait, yeah, my job is I do draw silly pictures. Yeah, and like, have fun. Um, I think actually and it's a fun job. And yeah, that, and that's okay. And that's also like sometimes I think we get ashamed that our job is fun. Yeah, but Look, yeah. My last point on this is I have a friend, and and it, it's tongue in cheek, but he says this like sort of relating to all this stuff. He he tries to annoy me by referring to me as a stay at home cartoonist. <laughs> But you know what? Like, Another great graphic T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually really love that term now. Like yeah. that, that would have annoyed me ten years ago. Yeah. Um, all right, we got a few minutes left. Let's try and maybe rapid fire yes. some of these questions. There's always a lightning we'll, round. We'll so, lightning round these, yeah. not to to not give them the attention they deserve. Anonymator writes, "What was a recent experience that had made you think I should bring this into my work, or I need to animate and draw that?" Oh, oh boy. I have this a lot. One that like just springs to mind for myself is again based on my like ADHD stuff from my last episode. Mm. There was the movie that I'm working on needed like a downbeat for for a scene like our our hero didn't like really have a low. So I took a conversation that I had had with my husband about ADHD and like how I kind of wished I had known sooner. Yeah. So that like maybe my life would be better now where he was like um that feels bad yeah as your as your present current husband that feels bad to hear <laughs> and so like i took basically that conversation almost verbatim yeah, and like yeah. put it in my movie that's, and yeah. now that's the emotional downbeat and it's one of my favorite parts wow see yeah that's so cool yeah i think i think for me it also happens all the time i mean I have so many thoughts about um, planning and executing a wedding now uh, as of a few weeks ago. So um, I think there will definitely be things that pop up there. Christine asks, what's your favorite non-essential work accessory that brings you joy? Um, Non-essential work accessory? Mine is, um, let's see how quickly I can describe this. So I have a Wacom tablet that is its own computer. So it's it's like a mobile tablet. And um, it can be set up on a regular desk. But I also have... A drafting table, just a regular drafting table that 
my grandfather, who was an architect, gave me as a gift when I was eight. And I was so excited when I was eight because I wanted to be a cartoonist when I grew up. Yeah. A stay-at-home cartoonist. <laughs> and um, so I used that drafting table every day to draw comics on. And over the years, I sort of doodled all over the drafting table because I was a little kid. I kept keeping this drafting table even though I was a digital artist and not using it anymore. <laughs> I brought it to college with me and it would just sit there. And then um, my friend Trevor, shout out to Trevor, who works with wood and is an incredible artist creating things out of wood. A woodworker? I don't know the right term. I mean, that sounds a, right. A, wood, wood, a woodman? Woodsman? A, yeah, the, a woodsman. <laughs> um, I um, commissioned Trevor to convert my drafting table into a um, table that could house my tablet or, or that my tablet yeah. could rest on. So he, maybe I'll post a picture of this on social media. It's cool. He made a little ledge for the tablet, which has um, animators can nerd out on this little peg bar holes yes. on it. Not not functional because I don't do cell animation. Just, <laughs> just the holes as, as a, the tri aesthetic. a yeah. tribute to animation. He made a wooden inkwell or something the shape of an inkwell to put the pen, the tablet pen That's in. That's so cute. Which looks cool. I noticed the pegboards. I didn't notice the inkwell. Yeah. And then he also, you know, refinished the whole thing and all the doodles were gone except... The name of the comic strip I drew when I was a kid was Poke and Gravy. Um, my current brand, my company, my studio is called Poke Gravy as a tribute to that. He burned in my handwriting from when I was a kid oh, that says so Poke cool. Gravy. Um, so it still says that on there in, in my handwriting. So it's such a cool thing. Um, so that's my favorite. Uh, I have nothing that will come even close. <laughs> like it's, I, that's incredible. I Genuinely, I can't think of one. Like, You're like, I have a pretty cool coffee mug. It's, I mean, yeah, I, that would. I literally posted about a coffee mug on Instagram today. <laughs> so oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, probably. that that was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I bet you have um, something for this. Cambridge, our our friend, uh, yeah. asks, what media has been inspiring you lately? Ooh, I do. I just finished reading a book, which I don't do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Over the summer, I made it a point to read more fiction. So I read this one book called Skin of the Sea by, I think her name is Natasha Bowen. Mm -hmm. I decided to read it because it was an interpretation of The Little Mermaid, which is my favorite story in the whole world. Yeah. But it sets it in African mythology during the slave trade. Whoa. Which is incredibly heavy yeah. saying it now. But it was like mind blow. It was so fascinating. I loved it so much. I just finished reading the sequel, which is called, I think, Soul of the Deep. Mm. which like it, truly like i i find adaptations fascinating yeah. like just in general i think it's so cool and the way that this woman so faithfully adapted the original little mermaid story in a way that it is almost unrecognizable right it is so fascinating and i loved it so much like i want it to be the next game of thrones or something <laughs> like there's so much yeah. mythology and magic in it which like I love, I love mythology. Obviously, I love people. Like, mm -hmm. it's great. I've loved this story forever. But having that recontextualized in another person's culture was exhilarating. I loved it so much. Well, I don't know if I can top that. And <laughs> I can't think of one. And last but not least, Jimmy asks, how was your wedding? Congrats. Woo! Um, I think that's for me. I would imagine. I mean, I also had a wedding. How was your wedding? Um, it was really cool seven years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, mine was great. I mean, you know, I talked about wanting to write about wedding planning. Like, uh, yeah. weddings truly are a lot of ups and downs. They are. And um, <laughs> as a fix-it type person, as someone who likes to learn lessons and then implement those lessons, I, with luck, will not have to plan another wedding, but I never get to implement those lessons. Oh, Jake... 
my husband, uh, based off of our wedding, he very much is like, I could be a wedding planner, no problem. Like, oh. immediately is like, there's so much I've learned that I could just, like, just from us getting married, could start a wedding planning business. And he probably could. Interesting. I think I would start a business uh, talking people into a little bit. <laughs> No, no, no. That's, no, that's, that's I, over simply. I, I, it was awesome. But where I haven't, I, I know enough people who've gotten married now where I'm like, yeah, that's a valid yeah. option. Like, Here's <laughs> the thing. It's one of those things. Um, maybe like all of this. Maybe like freelancing. Maybe like j- diving into a creative career. You truly cannot know until you do it. As a guest of your wedding, I will say it was great. Oh, thank you. It yeah, was I guess very, we could ask Matt how, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. how was my wedding. I had a very good time. Thank it was you. fun. Thank you. Yeah, I, it was fun, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Something I really loved about your wedding. It felt very you and Mia. Well, thank you. And um, you didn't invite me to your wedding, but in your defense, you didn't know <laughs> I don't who think I, I was. Know, I don't think I knew you then. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still offended. All right. well, if we ever do a vow renewal, you'll be there. <laughs> uh, my advice would be don't. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> Um, we got to wrap up, so we're going to kind of do a little outro. Matt, real quick, where can people find you if they want to ask more of your oh, great yeah. advice? I am on uh, Instagram and Twitter uh-huh, at uh, TinySirenTunes, patreon.com slash TinySiren. You can help us uh, m- make a movie <laughs> and yeah, get a fun mug. Great. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time thank to you so much for having co-host me. with me in return. I really appreciate it. This, this was, was so much fun. Thank you to all of you who wrote in. If we didn't get to your question this time, it's going to carry over to the next one. And um, we love your conversation. I think yes. that's what this is called. Yeah, um, we loved your conversation. We loved that your conversation. Good. We love it. This episode was recorded at CCTV in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Thank you to Adam Salzberg for mixing this episode and getting it to your ears. Thank you also to Typist, which is Adam Salzberg. That's his solo, uh, solo, uh, solo project. Thank you. You've you listened to the. Podcast. I listened to your podcast today. Adam, Adam, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. You're thank welcome. You. You're welcome. Um, Typist, which is Adam's solo project, made the theme song, um, and Typist is awesome, and you should. Uh, check him out on Spotify and um, thank you to everyone for listening thanks to everyone who's subscribed rated reviewed please do that it really helps Um, it's like putting a dollar in the tip jar and uh, without having to actually spend a (laughs) dollar and we'll do this again if you like it and if you hate it let us know so we we don't waste your time but for real thank you so much to everyone who wrote in I really really appreciate it I really loved hearing from all of you and and Truly, it, it helped me to see that everyone was going through things that I've gone through and are yeah. still going through. And, and we're all in it together. Yeah, we got this. Yeah. We got this, folks. All right. Thanks, Matt. And bye. Bye. <laughs>